if we want to be clear in our communication, uh, we might even try to, to, to communicate uh, in this youth-friendly language across the board on all topics. Hello everyone and welcome to Under 30, a podcast brought to you by the partnership between the European Commission and the Council of Europe in the field of youth. I'm Ismar Pai Civico and together with Glutid Dalu, we'll be hosting this episode. We hope you enjoy. So today with our guest, we'll talk about um, the, the position and role of EU Youth Coordinator. The um, uh, establishment of this post is quite new in European youth policies and you will learn a bit more today about its missions, concrete actions, plans, expected impact on policy practice and also on young people, of course, in Europe. So I'm pleased to uh, welcome Biliana Sirakova, so the EU Youth Coordinator since June 2021, if I'm not mistaken. So Biliana, can you please introduce uh, yourself? Well, thank you very much for the invitation to be a guest on your podcast. I enjoy it very much and I'm a regular listener. So um, my name is Biliana. I'm Bulgarian, living in Belgium for uh, 14 years now. Uh, since 2010, I have been working in the European Commission. And since uh, June last year, um, I've been working in the role of EU Youth Coordinator. My educational background is in economics and management, and uh, I have 18 years of professional experience and across all the sectors, public, private, and nonprofit. Um, my work has revolved around um, building and managing relationships with diverse stakeholders and around communication, especially communicating for uh, impact and, and learning. And something personal, I'm the mom of two little boys, and uh, in full honesty, outside of work, most of my time is dedicated to them. Uh, and I love the outdoors. So when I need to recharge uh, my batteries, I turn to, to nature. Perfect. So thank you very much, Biliana, for that uh, short introduction. And now I think we're going to dive a bit more into what is actually uh, your job as a youth coordinator. How is your everyday look like? Let's say, how does it look like? What are your everyday challenges? Um, and how are you shaping, let's say, this newly this new position that you've just taken uh, from last year? So thank you for this uh, first question. Before I explain what the role of the EU Youth Coordinator is about, I would like just to uh, start with uh, explaining the why. Why was the role uh, established? So uh, this role was um, is part of the EU long-term plan of connecting, engaging, and empowering young people. So this is our EU youth strategy for 2019-2027. And why the position was proposed is that I think the, the European Commission has been engaging and connecting with young people more and more in the past years. We have hundreds of youth participation initiatives, um, youth weeks, uh, the EU youth dialogue, Youth Sounding Board in External Action. We have um, young European ambassadors in EU neighborhood and other uh, policy areas like climate and environment. Um, and there are many examples in other EU institutions like the European Youth Events at the Parliament, the Youth Climate and Sustainability Roundtables, the European Economic and Social Committee, 
the young politicians programs uh, at committee of the regions and, and many others and anyone who's interested in finding out about all these initiatives is welcome to to go to the european youth portal this is our one-stop shop for this information so um i think there was a need to enhance cooperation on youth issues to share knowledge and, and learn from each other and to align all of these projects so they complement and not compete with each other and said that so that we are efficient and effective in reaching the, the youth goals that, that we have as part of the EU strategy. And this is why um, the coordinator was proposed to make links and uh, in terms of the, the roles uh, of the coordinator, I'd like to explain it with an acronym, um, which is VOICE. And the V in this VOICE uh, acronym stands for visible point of reference. So the EU youth coordinator should be visible point of reference for young people, youth organizations and, and commission services. Then the O stands for outside in approach on youth issues. So the coordinator should um, introduce this outside-in approach where um, uh, I'm listening to the views and concerns of young people and working to ensure that they are heard in EU policy making. The I stands for integration of the youth perspective in all relevant uh, policies and methods. And then C is for cooperation and coordination, which I referred to about. Uh, um, I referred to, talked about between commission services working on youth issues. And finally, the E is for encouraging youth to take advantage of the opportunities that are available to them. So giving really visibility to uh, uh, commission initiatives for, for young people. So this is uh, in a nutshell what uh, the role is uh, is about. That sounds, I mean, from, from this perspective, from this perspective, got a lot of work because uh, you're a bit like the main person that connects everything re related to youth with everything with the institutions. So my question is now maybe, do you work with other people? Do you have a team? Uh, do you have any colleagues? Or is it just a one-person army, you against the, against the world? <laughs> well, luckily, uh, it's not a one-person army. I am um, based in the policy sector of the youth unit in the in the commission, in uh, Director General AAC, and I do have a, a, a big team of, of colleagues who, uh, even if they are uh, not their, their manager and no, no desire to be that, I'm very much supported by them, uh, by their expertise, because the coordinator role is not a, a policy officer role, so I do not have the youth policy deep expertise, which is needed. I think it's more about the tra transversal kind of skills and competencies about stakeholder management. And so I do get a lot of support from the colleagues on this, uh, the, the policy uh, aspect. And in terms of policy, um, what would you say is one of the main things you started to work on uh, when you took that position last year? What was the main, when you, when you got the role of your youth coordinator, what did you say, okay, this is the first thing I'm going to be working on? So I think the, there are a few things, but maybe youth participation in general is a part of what I'm quite involved in, because uh, I talked about this in integration of you know the, the youth perspective in, in different policy areas, and also encouraging young people to, to, to speak up, to voice their concerns, and ensuring that their voices are heard in uh, policy and decision making. So this is probably the area where I'm mostly uh, involved, and then since, of course, the start of the European Year of Youth and the preparations last year, 
another uh, big aspect is kind of this, um, you know, co-creation of the year with stakeholders and national coordinators. So it's about, so I do get um, a little bit insight into the youth sector and maybe youth work. So this has been quite, uh, quite interesting as well, you know, working with this group to prepare the year and now to really deliver the, the European year together. And when it comes to the impact that you would like to have, let's say, on, on youth policy or what is the ex- expected impact um, you would like to achieve in your next years in that position? So, yes, I, I think that um, the position can have an impact on youth policies and the sector and young people in Europe. And uh, even if it is very difficult to quantify and measure it, I can give uh, two examples. I mean, uh, since I started, uh, we have established a um, youth uh, network, informal network in the European Commission, where close to 15 director general are represented and we meet regularly. And this is a forum where we exchange good practices, um, learn from each other, uh, find out what others are doing in different areas. How are they, how are they connecting with young people? How are they communicating their projects? Uh, what uh, youth organizations uh, they are working with, and uh, we share the results of projects. So this youth network is quite can be quite instrumental also for making sure that there is this mainstreaming of, of youth policy. And the other example is that in preparation of the European Year of Youth um, and now in the implementation of the year, we are working with uh, European Year of Youth stakeholder and national coordinators group. And so we have national coordinators from each EU member state um, and also from uh, six non-EU countries. And we have more than 100, actually close to 150 youth organizations at European level. And with this group, we uh, worked on co-creating the year, but are also now in touch and, and share projects. And um, I think this group can be very impactful and can even stay in some shape and form uh, for the future and can be legacy of the year uh, because it has potential to, to lead to better cooperation and better um, connection of the EU with the, the youth sector and with youth organization. Um, so these are just two examples which are, I think are quite um, concrete. One of your mission, as you said, is also to, to, to give youth a voice uh, in shaping EU, EU policies. And, and is it also a question building, I would, take, I would say, trust between uh, young people and also the European Union, the European Commission? Is it also one of the uh, expected outcomes of your, your role and position? Absolutely. I think it's about trust. It's also about kind of accessibility, uh, about information so that, you know, if, if someone needs to have the voice and be able to express their ideas, I, I think they need uh, clear information about uh, what they're expressing their ideas on. They need help also to express their ideas. So when we talk about, um, for instance, that our 
policies and initiatives need to be communicated in a youth-friendly language. This is quite important because I will give an example. I think we, we have now a lot of really old kind of legislative proposals that are big. I mean, there are uh, open public consultations and you can sign up and receive notifications when there is open public consultation. So young people can do that. But if you go to these um, documents and read through them, uh, they're even difficult f for us to, to understand. So we are asking them to express their ideas and we cons consult them and you know that, that, that they should give us feedback. But the information that's provided is, is very, very difficult. So I think there is a role of this youth-friendly uh, language to make our initiatives and policies better understood by young people. So, um, and absolutely linked to, to trust as well, to establish like a relationship, um, you know, and I think if young people see, for instance, when I talked about this follow-up, that there is follow-up on actions, then the next time we consult them, they are clearly more likely to, to participate uh, because if they're without the follow-up, I mean, this is a lost cause. Yes, I would. I wanted also to to get back a little bit on, on youth policy because you you talked about something that I think is very important regarding mainstreaming uh, youth at the level of the European Commission within the different directorate. And I wanted to ask you, how do you work to mainstream youth uh, within the different directorates, and what are your expectations in uh, in this field? Well, just the first thing to say that now, I think in the current context of the European Year of Youth, of course, this is there is a lot of help on this because the year is a high political priority. And so all commission services are implicated in one way or another in, in all policies. And so there is already this willingness to you know, to not only to, to consult young people, to involve them in a lot of these processes. I mean, just an example, um, you know, on 1st of April uh, uh, in research and innovation uh, on Horizon Europe program, there was a call for um, interest uh, launched to young people, master students in any kind of discipline to participate as observers in the evaluation process of how uh, funding you finding in these distributed you know, projects. And this is really a first. Um, it, I don't think that something like this was ever done before. So I have to say that even without my uh, being so actively, you know, trying to mainstream and kind of include uh, the, the young people in all these areas, I think there is a lot of currently willingness from all the services to do that. But um, the other example that I gave about this youth network where there's participation from uh, different uh, commission services also helps in that because their colleagues can see what is the benefit of uh, engaging young people and uh, creating this kind of relationship with them and the youth organizations. And I think they uh, are likely to include more and more young people in the future, in the processes. So this is how we do it. And as well, final thing maybe to say, in this group that I mentioned about um, the uh, European Year of Youth uh, stakeholder group and national coordinators, we ensure to invite youth organizations from across all different uh, policy areas. So some of them are working on environment, others are really focusing on employment, inclusion, etc., etc. So I think we have stakeholders from really across the, the spectrum. I would like to come back to to the part where you said you're trying to make a bit of a youth-friendly language. And maybe this is a, a wrong perspective I might have, but it's a question worth asking nonetheless. Um, are you a bit afraid that making youth-friendly language per se, because you are indeed that main contact point that needs to juggle between civil society, young people, and people in the institutions. And we all know there's 
loads of things get lost in translation. Are you afraid that making youth-friendly language is going to water down the actual content and the important language that must be had, let's say, at an institutional level, and that young people won't get to know exactly what is being said? Or what is your perspective? Or do you think not at all and it's actually a lot better and that's how uh, it should be presented um, to civil society in general or to uh, young people around Europe? Yeah, um, no, I, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I think I wasn't clear, but the youth-friendly language, it's um, something that is used by the services, by the commission director general when they are now, you know, um, connecting with young people and asking their perspectives on different things. So, for instance, as an example, on the European Year of Youth page, uh, we have published uh, over 100 policy initiatives. So these uh, texts and, uh, have been contributed by, by the director general. So the people working in this policy, so they have done the effort to look at their um, initiatives and the explanations and reformulate in a language that is clear and accessible and can be understood by, by young people and others as well. And I think, honestly, this helps the larger public as well. I, I, I would say that even as a if we want to be clear in our communication, uh, we might even try to, to, to communicate uh, in this youth-friendly language across the board on all topics. So this has been uh, the, the coming from the, from the policy side. So I don't think by removing some technical details, I don't think that the content is watered down. And I think the intention is still to make our initiatives clear to young people and that they can understand them better. And then they can give ideas, recommendations and suggestions but they need to have a very good understanding first before doing that. Yes, I think you actually answered the actual question I was thinking of. I didn't maybe express it that well. It was maybe not just specifically towards young people, but towards the general population, because it, yeah. it is indeed, I mean, it's a lot more interesting uh, to share more understandable pieces of text and see exactly what the commission is doing uh, in that regard. So, I mean, I'm, I'm really, I'm glad we, uh, we got to clarify that part. I want to come back to the thing regarding the youth sector. And of course, you are, we didn't say at the beginning, but I remember from our last conversation that you are new to the youth sector in some sense. So you joined uh, last year when you took the role as EU youth coordinator. So something a bit new for you. And you've been meeting so many different people from different NGOs, youth councils, European Youth Forum, for example, Advisory Council on Youth and et cetera, et cetera, with so many people being involved in this very large sector in all around Europe. What is your perception of it? How has your experience been up until now? Have people been friendly? Have they not been friendly? Have they been open? Have they been quite in an activist mode towards you? What's your feeling around uh, all of this uh, new, let's say, life? Well, happy to tell you, Ismail. So you're right. My impressions of the youth uh, sector are really as a, as a newcomer. So I, I don't, I have never worked as a youth worker. So I do want to make it clear. I'm not, you know, I don't want to sound presumptuous here. So this is just from observations and like you said I've now been lucky to actually have contacts with more than 100 organizations youth organizations and this is not even counting kind of the EYY group and so my general impression is that the people working in the sector are immensely passionate and dedicated to defending and advancing the interests of young people. So I see if you said, uh, are they being friendly? Absolutely. And there are some very passionate people. Unfortunately, my impression is, I think often the youth work is undervalued and uh, I, I, would, uh, I know many would agree underfunded. And I think this is the case, at least in some countries. I'm sure this is not across the board. 
But I remember last year, soon after I started, I had a conversation with a very uh, competent and engaged young lady who in her uh, 20s was very active in many youth organizations. And then now um, in her 30s, she has moved on to other kind of career choices, another path. And because she said that the youth field was not a long-term viable career choice. And again, this is coming from maybe one member state, and I'm sure then in others, this is not the case, and there are people who can have very fulfilling careers. But uh, clearly for me, there is something that needs to be done there in terms of, uh, from the, from the you know, authorities in terms of maybe um, not only education for youth work, but also clear career paths and you know, structural funding and, and just general recognition. So this is work for the probably the national authorities and institutions can also help. I know that in the partnership and Council of Europe, a lot of, there's a lot of work being done on that. But then another point is also about maybe the youth sector here is that um, the, the sector can also maybe communicate the impact better. We talked about this communication about impact. So I think the value needs to be demonstrated. And I think... We are all convinced that the youth work is positive, you know, and very important, but maybe it helps to also provide, you know, tangible evidence um, on the impact of young people and the impact on society at large, you know, performance indicators, just to, to, to really communicate for impact. So I think that impact needs to be better demonstrated and, and communicated. And again, I'm not, not to make generalizations, they are very excellent examples here as well. And of course, the last thing uh, in this field, as in many others, there's, uh, there are common challenges, you know, for instance, linked to green and digital transition and, you know, in inclusion. So my understanding from meeting different organizations is that they're also going through this reflection process of how they need to adapt and, and uh, how what changes need to be made to continue to serve young people in a kind of new context and a context which is very ambiguous and changing all the time. So these are just a few things that I'm noticing, again, as a really a newbie to, to the field. I'm glad we have more people at an institutional level, actually, that are speaking about youth work uh, and its value that actually does have to society. I mean, all of these things, we've been speaking about them on the podcast for quite a while now. I mean, that, that just made me think of a, of a podcast we uploaded a, a, a couple of months back, which was, I think, an action kit for the future of youth work. And then, of course, we're going to have one uploaded this week, but then... When you're hearing this podcast, it will be a few weeks back uh, regarding uh, youth participation too. So all of these things, of course, there are so many people working on these areas and it's very nice to see, again, why this position was created is to have someone in the institutions speaking about them at that same level as the other decision makers. Uh, so I think that's a very, very uh, important aspect of your work. And I think everyone in the youth work is very glad and, and quite happy that they, finally there is someone taking uh, this position. I know it's been people have been um, demanding it for for quite some time now so i think i can speak on behalf of most people in the youth in the youth sector saying that we are very happy um i want to go now because in 2022 we we slightly brought it up uh, at the beginning is the uh, european year of youth can you explain a bit what is a european year of youth i mean why exactly is there a european year of youth first of all and why is it now in 2022 yeah uh, yeah, I know that uh, in a past podcast, uh, you had also my head of unit, Ioannis Malekos, who explained uh, a little bit about it. But the European Year of Youth, I, I think for it simply is about putting the spotlight uh, on young people 
And if I continue, kind of this metaphor is about giving them the, the microphone or if you want the loudspeaker and then listening and then, and then acting, hopefully. So this is really it in a nutshell. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure how much in detail that, that you want me to go in, but uh, there are clear uh, objectives for the year to, for instance, to improve uh, youth participation, to boost the efforts of also member states and youth organizations, uh, this mainstreaming and cross-sector approach, and especially including young people who, with fewer opportunities, who are disadvantaged from uh, vulnerable groups uh, in the process, and helping them you know, uh, become active citizens. I think this active citizenship it's especially in the current context with the war of Ukraine is very important. So the focus that we have also now is on the European values, why it is important to be active citizen participation in democratic processes, uh, etc. So I do want to say that uh, I think, that, you know, the European Year of Youth is a declaration of, of commitments and which is, um, it was proposed by the European Commission, by President von der Leyen, um, but it was endorsed by all member states and all uh, in, the, in the European Parliament. So putting this commitment to work and actually implementing it is uh, everyone's job. Um, the international organizations, governments, you know, regional authorities, uh, public, private actors, even uh, clearly youth organizations and young people themselves. So if I can liken it to something, it's, you know, how in the UN SDGs, the year has certain objectives and their fulfillment relies on ownership and contribution from many stakeholders. But in the year, if I have to focus on the area which I'm mostly involved, I refer to it, it's really the cooperation with uh, other institutions, but importantly with the youth stakeholders and the national authorities through this group of national coordinators, which was established and anyone interested to see who these people are and organizations is welcome to go to the European Youth uh, page and see the list of national coordinators and their role is to implement the year uh, at national level. So in terms of uh, legacy of the year, we do want to see, I mean, I, I personally really would like to see that this cooperation with youth stakeholders and the youth sector can be continued in some shape or form uh, beyond the year uh, and we already have a number of new initiatives that are launched that uh, will have a tangible impact beyond the year for instance alma the new uh, initiative for uh, young people who are neither in employment education or training and, and many others and i already see this willingness to to include young people in many initiatives and I hope this that this stays beyond the year, um, and I, I'm quite convinced that it will stay because there is a very strong, if I can say, business case of why we should do that. Why should young people have a say in our processes? Why should we consult them? There is a very strong case for that, uh, and I think if we give these opportunities this year, we will see the value and how this can make our processes more efficient. There can be more buy-in from people. We can really gain from their creativity and solutions and their competencies. So uh, I think this this is likely that th it is likely that we continue this in the future. No, I think it's very interesting what you said regarding um, the the legacy of the year and the fact that we it is seen also has like 
paving the way um, to new forms of cooperation within the youth sector and also with young people. And I think it's, uh, it sounds very promising. Regarding you, you, you talked about very concrete actions, cooperation, connection with stakeholders, national coordinators, and so on. If we think very concretely regarding the forthcoming weeks and months, what are your plans and what can all of us expect from the the EU Youth Coordinator? So um, I'm lucky to take part in a number of different activities um, where I first get to meet young people and youth organizations and also uh, policymakers. So, for example, uh, tomorrow um, we are um, conducting, I'll be moderating the Youth Policy Dialogue on the Climate Pact uh, with 14 Climate Pact Ambassadors and Executive Vice President of the Commission, Franz Timmermans. It will be in presence, but also web-streamed, so anyone who's interested in watching it and asking their questions to the Executive Vice President will be able to do that on the Facebook uh, event. And so this, these opportunities are really wonderful because I get to make these connections, understand the views of young people better in the different areas. So tomorrow we'll, the focus will be on sustainable consumption. And so these Climate Pact ambassadors are very engaged and, and knowledgeable on this topic and they'll be sharing their recommendations uh, with the uh, Executive Vice President. And so uh, there are a number of other events where I'm, I'm taking part like this. Another thing which looking forward is the launch of something which is quite innovative in terms of a tool. We it will we're launching this month a 3D voice recording platform where young people and not only will be able to record their voices, their messages to policymakers, um, and in a in a I would say also uh, in a cool way and in a fun way. And so we hope this tool uh, is uh, used by, by many. And then uh, there will be kind of a feedback loop where on the bigger themes, I mean, we hope to get really thousands of messages. So it will not be about responding to each one, but across when there are common themes or common suggestions that there is some kind of a response from our uh, commissioners and, and, and policymakers. Thank you very much, Biliana, for that very detailed explanation indeed of what is the actual concrete plan for the European Year of Youth, because all the time like we were speaking at the beginning it is very a bit abstract and lots of people don't really understand what is going on um we have spoken about what you've done what you're going to do what you're doing currently i think uh, we've uh, we've done that quite quite well um and unfortunately we're gonna we're arriving now at an end uh, of the episode but do you have any like maybe closing questions anything you maybe uh, any last thoughts you would like to share with uh, with the listeners well, I just want to, to say to your listeners, whether they're, you know, I know that you are followed by many youth workers, uh, young people and, uh, and different uh, decision makers. I, I would like to, to say that uh, I, I, I would be very happy to connect with many of them uh, bilaterally uh, and um, I, I'm available to do that. Uh, of course, depending on schedule and all of that, but uh, really happy to, to, to connect with them, uh, to learn also more about the, the sector and their, where they're coming from, their challenges. I think there, there are a variety of issues there and it's just through this kind of continuous dialogue and, um, that we, we understand better what we can do to, to address them. So just want to extend this uh, welcome to, to get contacted uh, via uh, email or actually I'm, I'm trying to be also active on social media. So happy to connect with your uh, listeners. And with those thoughtful ending notes, we have reached an end to our episode. 
Thank you very much, Miliana, for participating in this podcast and Clotilde for co-hosting this episode with me. And again, to all the listeners, remember, you can follow us on Instagram at EUCOEYouth to stay up to date with all our future content. Thank you very much and see you next time.